hello, and welcome to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. I'm your host, Jim Henry. The show is brought to you in part by donations from individual listeners, like my good pal, Maria Sangiolo, and from Club Passing, the premier listening room in the heart of Harvard Square. Find them online at www.clubpassine.org. Together, we've raised about a third of what's needed to keep producing these shows. Please help me reach my goal by going to www.patreon.com slash jimhenry and join the other generous listeners in supporting this podcast. Our guest today is Don Dixon. Dixon is a record producer, multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, and an actor. He's produced records for R.E.M., Marshall Crenshaw, The Smithereens, James McMurtry, Hootie and the Blowfish, and for his wife of 30 years, Marty Jones. He's released eight solo records and has toured the world as a headliner, an opening act, and as an accompanist. Dixon brings experience and perspective to every musical situation, so I'm grateful he was willing to sit down with me for a chat and share his unique take on some of the pro tips. So let's say hello to Don Dixon. Hello, Don Dixon. Hi, Jim. <laughs> How are you? You know, I'm I'm okay. You, all things considered. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it's nice. Uh, nice that you were willing to do this. Willing? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Well, you can pay me later. Okay, good. <laughs> so we're coming to you right now, backstage at Tanglewood in Lenox, Massachusetts, Ooh. where you are uh, just starting the summer tour with the Mary Chapin Carpenter. It's true. Right? This is your second second show? Second show of the summer. Second show here in the U.S. In the U.S. Are you guys going uh, somewhere uh, other than the U.S.? Well, the they, just, they just played without me in uh, England for, I don't know, they did 15 shows or huh? so back in May. It's hard to believe they could do a show without you. Yeah. It's very easy to believe for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we may go back in fall for a short little run, but for the most part, it's U.S. through November. Yeah. One thing I ask everybody is, do you remember where we met or how we met? Well, we met because of Mary Chapin. Do you remember the, the, the instant or instance? Well, the instant, I think, is <laughs> it was probably at, that was like in Nashville. I think that, yeah. was a, that was back when John Jennings was still with us and part of the show, yeah. you know. Well, I think the I, I remember. I'm pretty sure the moment. Okay, that I well, met let's you. hear it. <laughs> I hope it was good. It was. A, I was standing in a group talking to you know probably Ferrari and Vinny or and and you kind of just strolled up and said, "Where are the white women at?" <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my go-to lines. Yeah. With now that may not make know. the podcast. But <laughs> That's okay. There are white women all over the globe. And sometimes we like to know where they're at. <laughs> well, that uh, well, okay. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, speak the totally. Truth. I'm not. There's no. There's nothing derogatory in any way about that, as far as I'm concerned. All right. So, so, but, but we, we must have been at the Paramount or someplace. Actually, I think I think the first thing that I the actual first thing I did with her was uh, uh, the CBS Morning Show. We did that. No, that couldn't have been our I first. I think we were. Thing. I think that was the very first time that I met you. Surely not. I think so. We had a rehearsal that after 
in the afternoon one day, and then we did the show. Like we had to be there at four in the morning. Wow. I mean, I remember doing that show, but um, that was that long ago. Yeah. I thought that was more like you know in 2012 or something. No, that was the very first. Because you played 10, 11, and 12, yeah. and then she, I didn't play with her for three years after that, 13, 14, 15, 15 I think, yeah. yeah. And then Jennings died and yeah. messed everything up. <laughs> Poor John. John was good. John was a good man. Yeah. Um, yeah, we spoke, I did a, one of these on, on one of these podcasts on musical heroes, and he was definitely one of mine. Oh, so it was such a such a great joy to be able to play with him, and most of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. Well, he could be he could be crusty. He had a crusty side. Well, he was. I think it was John Carroll's at his memorial said, you know, the only thing bigger than John's ego was John's heart, and that's pretty true. Totally true. Very true. Well, enough down memory lane. Yes, we're here to talk about pro tips. Yes, and you you have picked a couple. Right? Yeah. Did you want to talk? I think about? 10 and 11 is what we were talking okay. about, weren't we? Well, I'd be honored if you actually read them sure. into the microphone. Absolutely. Pro tip number seven during sound check, sit or stand quietly till it's your turn. I'd love your reading voice. <laughs> well, that is a great tip. Thank and you. it's really so if every drummer should have this tattooed <laughs> on the inside of their eyelids because typically drummers are the worst, even yeah. though they're, they're not alone. I mean, everybody can be dangerous <laughs> at, at soundcheck. You know, it's just there's nothing worse for, for all you people trying to get a job. Anyway, so that's a great tip. There's really not much to add yeah, to that. Well, what do you think Wait it is? until it's your turn to make noise. Yeah. I know, you'd think it would be pretty obvious, but it's, people have a hard time with that. Um, people are dumb. <laughs> and musicians are <laughs> barely <Especially> people. Dumb. <laughs> okay, so what was that, 10? What was the other one? Pro tip number 10. Engineer and producer are different jobs that require different skills, so plan accordingly. Yes. That's true. Now, now you, you do both of those things. Well, true. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do all of that stuff out of self-defense. As a youngster, I was interested in recording, but I was more interested in music. But it was important to, from, to me to learn about it so that I wasn't at someone else's mercy all the time. Uh, and some of my particular people skills ended up allowing me to be relatively successful on a local level first as a producer and then on a more global level as a producer. But producing, people get confused about the word producer because they know it from film. Right. And it's about money in film more than almost anything else and putting a team together in a different kind of way. Uh, Whereas... The producer of a record is more like the director of a film. Right. So the producer of a record is responsible for the performances and helping you get the most out of what's what's going on in your opportunities and help you help you pick songs sometimes. Right. Help you know, you help arrange you songs and definitely help help thing. with arrangements. You know, um, it depends a lot on what the guy needs. And then engineers should just shut up and and <laughs> get the thing where you want it. And, uh, you know, say, so, okay, try to make it sound good and be helpful 
about what you want, not try to impose. Um, one of the things about being a, a producer of a record is you're basically the producer is the loudest guy in the room. <laughs> the sort of he's where the buck finally stops. Right. When you have, particularly when you're working with a the band, there's a lot of psychology about how what song, you know, who does this and who does what and who wants this and who wants that. And someone has to help wrangle all these ideas into something that, that's cohesive because bands are not cohesive. Right. And bands, the best bands are not only greater than the sum of their parts, they are volatile. And the volatility of of it is often what matters, but you know helps make it matter. But somebody's got to be there to sort of steer to, the ship. To say, <laughs> yeah, to say enough's enough, and it's right. you know we've got it. That's interesting about using the volatility of that of that of those relationships to help kind of form the sound, right? Yeah, but it's not even about? so much about they've already done that. I mean, you know, in the best situations, the band has already done that. I right. mean, you're, you just recognized it and you're helping them. Really, you're spending a lot of time trying to, you know, save themselves from themselves <laughs> and isolate them a little bit from some of the pressures of the label. It, it, back, back in the old days, especially when the label was a lot more involved with the financial side and the labels mattered more, you know, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and they want something to show for it. And, <laughs> and the, the worst thing about Many A and R guys, as soon as they sign somebody, they pursue somebody, they like them, they think they've got it. As soon as they sign them, they start f- trying to figure out how to turn them into something else that's <laughs> famous on the that's doing well on the radio. Right. So, uh, and and that's just human nature, and you know, it's all and very ego driven too. Um, you want their input, you know, their imprint on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the job, working with bands in particular, I think, and solo artists to a lesser degree, is to sort of be a little bit of a buffer between them and the and the label and the kinds of things so like that a, you like might... A referee in some ways. Well, but yeah, but I mean, you're, you're basically just trying to not let the kind of pressure that can come to bear on the artist and intimidate... Or sometimes, you know, really intimidate the artists and keep them from reaching their full potential because everybody's super fragile. People are fragile. And being out there in that fishbowl is hard. And, um, you know, it just, it, it's hard to stand there and be judged like that. Yeah. At, that wouldn't, at such a minuscule level. Well, and you're talking about, you know, producing. You know, uh, higher profile stuff. Well, at the moment. sometimes, but everybody's you know everybody starts someplace. I've right. done a lot of first records for people, and you and you do still you do lots of producing, right? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. like that's kind of your main thing, isn't it? Or nah. nah, it's sort of divided kind of evenly. I make money songwriting, I make money playing, I make money producing records. That's about the three sources of income for me, and right. they're all kind of equal. At the end of the year, not a you don't make any money as a Yule Brenner impersonator. You don't. I should. <laughs> I could do that. I actually, I'd I'd prefer to. to who would I prefer to be? <laughs> if you could Isaac impersonate Hayes. anybody, I'd be Isaac Hayes. I'd impersonate Isaac Hayes <laughs> if 
I'm going to impersonate <laughs> another ball guy. You Telly Savalas and Neil Brenner, then I'm not interested. Oh, they were sexy men. They were, they were cool, but I'm not. <laughs> Isaac was the man. So you have produced stuff uh, for for famous people, and you've sure. or, or, like even when they were famous or on their way up, kind of a lot, a lot, yeah. both. I mean, like Smithereens, right? Couldn't get arrested when I made the first record, but we had a <laughs> lot of success with those first few records. It, right. You know what, what we needed. REM was you know just a little college, local college band. How, how long? How, like, how much time did you spend on making a record? It depended. We spent about three weeks on each of the REM records, but then, but we walked out of the door; they were done. And um, first Smithereens record was about seven days. Really? They had already cut a couple of the tracks to Hit Factory. We did the rest of it to Hit Factory. Um, Really great engineer named Jim Ball was the engineer. He was terrific. And then. you know, guys like Marshall Crenshaw were already pretty well known. James right. McMurtry was already. I just did a new Jim Blossoms record. You know, and they did comes out came out yesterday. Oh no! Well, what's today? The fifteenth. Is today the fifteenth? Yes. It comes out came out today. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll see how it does. I think that. I think it, I think the single got on the charts, but. Um, so how did you spend the same amount of time now making records, or do you? It depends. Just I mean, really you know, depends. It just depends on who it is and. What the budget's like, and you know, I I don't I haven't changed my approach very much. Which is, if it's a band, no click tracks allowed. Which brings are we going to do that one now? Well, <laughs> brings us to pro tip of the day number thirteen. Unless you are doing a live recording and will not be doing overdubs, always use a click track. And those are capitalized. That, I want to point was, that out. Always use a click track. <laughs> now, I won't argue with you that there are elements of using a click track that makes things easier. It also sucks the f***ing life <laughs> out of a song. So you're giving, I think you're giving up way too much with a click. Well, I'm not sure that I agree with you, Don. Oh, obviously, you don't. Yeah. Uh, well, but, and it but also, I, but it, I'm here to to uh, to counter your <laughs> tip. I think it almost entirely depends on context, who who you're dealing with, and well, what you're trying of, to do. Of, of course, right. but playing to a click track is really, really restrictive. It is not a good thing. It's restrictive. It, it, well, how many click tracks did Beethoven use? <laughs> And I'm 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 being completely uh-huh. serious. Well, but uh, I mean, it's really recent. Click tracks are really a result of drum machines, and they are almost came straight out of that. There are some kinds of music that are absolutely key that they're they're on clicks, but almost none of that is actually played by humans. Well, I would say that I. I'm- I would agree with you if you're dealing with people who are uh, good players and professional and kind of yeah. know what they're doing and have yeah. put in their time. And, you know, but, that's, that's a different thing. One I of the hardest things, I'm going to point this out, I kind of want to jump on you. That's all right. But one of the hardest things and one of the things you have to be the most professional to do is play something that's worth a shit to a click because it's really hard to do. And have it 
really feel good. So it's a, it's a super double-edged sword. If you can get people to sit down and you get the nuts and bolts of the thing together, that's where good things happen. And if the courses speed up a little bit, that's great. If the turnarounds have a little bit of rim, that's the biggest place where you hear clicks is, is when you're turning around, you're coming to the chorus. Right. If the chorus is 2 BPM faster than the verse, it's usually correct. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, it, it definitely feels feels better without a click. And, yeah. And yeah, things like the speed as up and slow down. As long as people are tight, it, it's harder to overdub. But in some ways, and then it, but it's more satisfying. I mean, if you're working with someone who's not as skilled, right? right? Uh, normally, it's a singer songwriter who's right. focused on writing and not focused on right. playing. Exactly. Um, but they insist on playing, right? Um, their own part. And you've had great success with that, making that feel okay. Like I, my, yeah. my, my, my feeling is, or part of where this was coming from, was that it feels better to use a click and have it be a little more stayed than to not use a click and have it be sloppy and fall apart. Well, being sloppy and fall apart is sometimes a powerful tool. Sometimes it is. <laughs> I, um, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's really, I think it's, I think it doesn't it's, help tell the story. No. I just, I mean, I just really, I mean, I really eschew click tracks. And, and the guys will sit down and they'll hook their thing up and say, you can't turn that on. And he'll go, what? I said, you can use it to figure out what the tempo is and you can use it for a count off, but it stops as soon as you start playing the song. You play, right? You know how to play, don't you? You can you can hit those drums, right? You you're not you're not a moron. So when you record a band, do yeah. you do it try and do it live for the most yeah, part? Yeah, well, yeah, everybody's playing. Well I mean, see that's a whole different kind of thing. But that's what bands are. Yeah, if you're well, not all playing together, you don't know what you've got. So no, it's I really totally important to, for everybody to play. And, and I'll put everybody in the same room. It doesn't matter. The leakage is a big part of the sound for some of these records. Right. If you get a track that feels good and everybody's happy, that's what you want. Well, I totally agree with you in that instance. If you're playing, like I said, in the tip. Right, live. If you're playing right. live, if you're all playing together, that's a very right. different thing. Right. That's it, a very it, different it, thing. And, and I don't do a lot of just guitar and voice and, right. and it, I, I don't do a lot almost everything I do has drums and stuff on and sometimes so. you can record stuff and it's okay if it's floaty you know oh yeah yeah if you're not as long as you can as long as you're together and right. it's and it's tight and it got a or, good feel or for instance recording a, you know someone playing acoustic guitar and singing and then right. later you add a you know a violin part or right. you know something that's and, and violins are easier than I mean I think a lot of the times people tend to have too many picky things like like if, if you're going to do a multiple picky thing it's not casual you know it's it's just as hard as doing good background vocals right. and that's the other thing people don't give themselves enough time they just think oh it's just singing right you know and <laughs> and it's so hard to have background vocals that are really great and it really requires a tremendous amount of patience and music music you know, sort of, there's some theory involved in trying to get these harmonies right. right. So you obviously spent a lot of time on, on background vocals. Sure. Um, Got to. Like, and has, so do you ever, how do you feel about auto-tune? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that people have 
I think when people use auto-tune to, in its most benevolent way, that it's, it can be helpful. It's not really that different from punching in a word. Right. I think people can go too far and it right. becomes Satan and you just don't, <laughs> it just sounds horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think any tool in itself you know, is a, is a problem. Bad, right. right. You just have to be careful. I mean, the way recording, I mean, has changed, you know, we would spend a lot of time getting a bass player and drummer to really have a track that was good. Right. And now the bass player hits a few notes and you just move them and everything sounds great. Right. And as long as they're together, the click track part doesn't matter at all. Right. So it doesn't matter who was right. It matters <laughs> that you have to be with the drummer or the guy doing the downbeat on the guitar or whatever it is. You right. Know. So the, those things can save a lot of time. You can get you can keep takes that in the past on multi-track tape we'd, we'd have had to throw out because there was... Just weren't tight. There was bass stuff that you just couldn't use. Right. Just a little too much, a little too many floppy notes, or you'd have to, or you'd redo it. You'd punch it in, you know. Yeah. So, and, but that's the whole thing about recording live. It's not that you keep everything that you do; it's that everybody's playing, so you've got to know when you got something that feels right. And even if you redo the guitars, it doesn't matter. They've already played it; that they're in there. They know right. what's going on. They know what it was. Feel what it Will was. Will you tell me about a recording you did with? Oh, actually, you gave me the recording. Who was that? A quirky songwriter, and it was, uh, you had uh, Tim O'Brien. Uh, oh, Todd Birch. Todd, Todd Birch, yeah. Yeah, that was all live. Yeah, that's what you were telling me, and it was, it was um, like all house. acoustic, too, I think. Yeah, Wasn't yeah. that mostly? Well, I, I played some of that electric Clevenger instead of all upright, but some of it was, was, was real upright, mostly. But it was um, Kenny Malone, great drummer. And Tim and Todd, and Todd's all everything's live. We're just off the. That's floor great. That's great. That's a great recording. And um, yeah, but but Tim can play. Tim's got great time. Right. And uh, yeah, you know, recording is recording's fun, but you have to. Everything's different. There are no laws. You know, right? Every human reacts differently. Every day is a little bit different. Right. You can have the same mics, and some days it sounds good, and some days it doesn't. Yeah, it depends on the on the humidity. Sometimes I think it does. Humidity. I think the barometric pressure is <laughs> is part of it. It does. It, yeah, particularly affects drums. Seems like, like oh, drum yeah. heads are like very sensitive to that kind of thing. Now, do you record a lot of drums? I record almost no drums, but right. I, but I do some. Yeah, I mean the recording I do is is generally acoustic. So and it's and it's normally overdubs because people will send me tracks. Right, and you put stuff on it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the click track makes it easier you know, for you. Yeah. yeah, definitely easier for me. So this was a selfish. Tip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Tip thirteen is very selfish. Well, you know, I think it was mostly directed at at people who don't record a lot and who no, aren't I, as as good of musicians. I understand. I mean, I totally understand that, but I just have to point out that I just don't use them. No, I understand. And, and you're often contrary on, on, <laughs> on lots of things. And that's actually one thing I wanted to ask you about. Okay. If you're willing to talk about it. Totally. At some point in, in our history, you went on a, on a diatribe about <laughs> how the Beatles had ruined popular music. 
Hi, folks. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we'll get back to Dixon in just a second. As most of you know, the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast is a one-man operation. In order for me to continue producing shows for you to enjoy, I need your help. Please visit www.patreon.com slash jimhenry and make a contribution today. Now let's get back to the conversation and find out if the Beatles actually ruined popular music. Are you, are you that wasn't the Beatles. That? It wasn't the Beatles? It was recording. <coughs> recording? Recording had ruined music. <clears throat> I, had, had ruined Because I never, because I never felt that way about the Beatles. I love the Beatles. I, I could swear that you had <laughs> no, <laughs> something I, to my, do with the Beatles. My diatribe tribe of a few <laughs> years ago that would have, this had to be what it was about, is that recording has ruined music because... Well, talk about that for a second. Well, what? recording creates these iconic things that now exist. Right. And it's a version of a song that becomes the song. Before recording, it was sheet music. Everybody took the sheet music home. They learned it on their uke or their their guitar, piano. Uh, Even piano rolls are part of recording as far as I'm concerned in a negative way. So people had to be able to play. Human beings, when I was a kid, there were a lot of live bands on the radio. Right. Morning country music hour, Homer Briarhopper and the whatever McCall, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Arthur Smith and the Cracker Jacks. I mean, people played live. Tell me the last time you like turned on and there was a guy whose job was to play live music on the radio for people at from three to five in the afternoon, and that's what they did: piano, organ. Mm Recording took all that away, um, as much as I love recording. If we didn't have recording, you would, humans, it'd be more humans playing music, more humans getting their hands on it. Well, part of the problem is that you have tremendously accomplished musicians that suck as writers, don't have a writing bone in their body. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to do? You know, the symphonies are all kind of going away. I mean, it's like, you know, here we sit at Tanglewood talking about this. But um, (laughs) it's, there was a place for popular music to be played by human beings not that long ago, less than 100 years ago. And, um, you know, recording began to usurp that thing. I mean, even when I was a kid, everybody had to have a song to play at a party. You know, mm-hmm. but then that went away pretty quickly. When I was, it was wasn't really so much when I was a kid. It was more when my parents were coming up. But. Well, and so that means that and I know this is true for you. You had to be able to read some music. Well, right? I learned how to read by being in the marching band. You know, and uh, I. I joined the marching band in seventh grade like you did in Lancaster, South Carolina, when you that was the first chance you had. Uh-huh. And I didn't take piano lessons or anything. My sisters all did, but I just wasn't that interested. But I played trombone, so I learned. I was interested in bass clef. I was interested in bass. The cool band in town didn't have a bass player. The organ player played pedals. So I said, hmm, I know bass clef. You know, so I'll, I'll save up and 
buy a base from Sears, which I did, <laughs> $79.95. And it's a great little Dan Electro. I've still got it, still play it a lot. Almost brought it out on this tour. Oh, really? I use it, play it with Marty all the time. That's funny. Uh, and started playing with this this band. And because we could read and because we played right. standards, we did a lot of beauty pageants. We did all kinds of, you know, kind of high-end country clubs. And it was like the, imagine guys in the seventh and eighth grade, you know, wearing tuxedos, playing Cole Porter songs, because that's what it was. And we were good. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got tapes that prove we weren't great, but we were okay. Uh, it was organ, guitar, drums, tenor sax, and bass. And then, but the organ player could also play saxophone, and the guitar player could also play saxophone. So we could do like three three horn things with just bass, drums, and three horns. We could do two horn things, just guitar, bass, and drums, or organ, bass, and that sounds great. Drums and two horns. Another it was great a band. Very flexible, cool band. And I met, met a lot of Miss Americas and all the Miss South Carolinas in that, band, <laughs> uh, which was fun. And uh, how old were but, you at this point? Well, I I joined that band when I was thirteen. Thirteen? Yeah. Oh, didn't you tell me <laughs> when did you start driving? <laughs> Thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half. <laughs> but it was, um, you know, it was just it was it was a great experience. I mean, our one of the parents had to drive us to, to the gigs at first. <laughs> we would rent a U-Haul and put the organ in there and the drum kit. Go to Whitmire. Well, so, um, but it, 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 for people to to play. The music, they had to be able to read a little something, or a little sheet you, music. Yeah, or play by ear. I mean, it's still a lot of great. I mean, think of all the, I mean, Doc Watson never read anything. So it's like, you know, it's not, depends on what you're trying to right. do as to how important that is. Right. Um, well, like, so when Hank Williams was big on the radio and stuff, you know, did he, I mean, did he have lots of sheet music out or did people just kind I'm of start? I'm sure, I'm know? sure that Hank, they published everything yeah. because they just published everything back then. Everything got published. I mean, there was no question about whether, I mean, until the mid-70s, to to secure an international copyright, you had to have a piece of sheet music of the song on sale in a foreign country. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wow. And that was in the mid-70s. So uh, there was a place in Canada, in Toronto, where you would just send them your three Xeroxed copies of the lead sheet of your song. And a lead sheet is the melody written out and the words. The only things you can copyright, you can't copyright chords, can't copyright rhythms, but you can copyright the actual melody mm-hmm. and the rhythm of the melody and the lyrics. So that's all you needed. I mean, sometimes you would add the chords, but the chords meant nothing in terms of, of its legality. Because, as you know, you can put a lot of different chords to the same right. melody. Uh, so you would, and you, the, the, this place would technically put it on sale, and then you could enter, then you got your international copyright. They would just file it, but it would be for sale. And I think you had to have three copies for some reason to prove that it wasn't just, that they were really for sale because they sold one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me, I wanted to do this thing. Okay. This is just totally random. I'm going to give you two words, and you have to choose one or the other. Like, you have to deal with it for the rest of your life. <laughs> okay. okay. Just one okay. or the other, with no explanation. Okay. And some of these, we're, we're going to know the answer to. The first one, of course, is analog or digital. 
I like digital. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge analog fan on many levels. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to talk about it. No, that's that's But I was an early uh, advocate of PCM recording, those Sony digital recorders back when, because I felt like the flexibility of editing was so much more deal was so much more there because the 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 sort of scary dangerous aspect of of editing your two inch stuff is is always there's always a moment of terror yeah i mean i love the way analog properly set up and a good machine sounds but they're not all equal, and right. and it's very, very much like being a blacksmith. You know, it, it, there's a lot of individual hard work and care goes into <laughs> making analog sound good. Yeah. Um, so, digital. I I would say if I have to pick today, digital. Uh, well, and the second one, of course, is click or no click. <laughs> no click. U87 or 414. Oh, U87 is a better one. Bourbon or Scotch. Uh, back when I used to drink, uh, you're so good at not explaining. <laughs> okay, bourbon. You can explain. I'm actually interested. <laughs> uh, I mean, I really like both of those. I mean, I, I know. know I'm not much of if I if I was forced for the rest of my life to drink something, I'd pick bur- bourbon yeah. over scotch. Yeah. Uh, dog or cat? <laughs> I love both. I have both. <laughs> Can't I have both? No. Can't I have bourbon and scotch and a dog and a cat? In the in the real dog. world, you can, but in this room right now, dog, dog. Okay, and then I know the answer to this one: tequila or vodka? Vodka. Yeah. Uh, window or aisle? Aisle. Aisle. Uh, well, and live or overdub? Well, I mean, one or the other. Again. The rest of your life. Live. Yeah. Rehearsed or not rehearsed? It, that is too loaded because that can mean so many different things. Right. So I know I'm not supposed to say anything. You have to. You just have um, to choose one, and no one's going to die. No matter. No, which no, one I understand that. <laughs> I would say if if you're talking about a band being too prepared going into the studio, I would say unrehearsed. What were the what, rehearsed or or not rehearsed? Oh yeah, not rehearsed. Because uh, they can just suck the life out of the thing. Right. They'll leave it on the end of practice room. Capo or no capo? No capo. Okay. I just really never like use capo. a capo live. Well, I, you, but I, you do use a capo live. Not I very often. I don't think you've seen me use a capo live. Uh, light or medium? At least medium. Acoustic or electric? Acoustic. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Richard Thompson or Bruce Coburn? I like Richard better, even though I love the, both those guys. That's it. Yeah, the, everyone I've asked that question to says the exact same thing. Love both those guys, but Richard Thompson's yeah. got to go. Yeah, Richard's got to get it. That, that's interesting little... Yeah, just, you know. Yeah. You're thinking, brother. <laughs> you're a thinking man. I had to ask Ferrari different questions. Though. Ah, you're a thinking man's Jim Henry. Yeah. His, <laughs> his, his were... His were uh, email or text? <laughs> Bus text. or plane? <laughs> Bus. <laughs> this is my favorite. Band or no band? <laughs> no band. <laughs> no band. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, so you, uh, let's just talk about you for a minute. Uh, you 
have been doing this a long time and you yeah. produce records and you play and actually one I did want to ask you about um, you one thing that you do is you play music with your wife sure and you guys have been married for about a thousand years. years 30 years mm-hmm. and your wife of course is Marty Jones Correct. and um, she's a, a a painter correct and a songwriter and singer Less of a songwriter than a singer, More but she's she better songwriter than she thinks she is. <laughs> and Just, you guys, you know, to, you don't tour a lot, but you no. do some stuff a couple times a year, right? You go it out. It depends. We we uh, we did a bunch of dates with uh, Dave Mason last year, uh-huh. and uh, we did a few with him this year, and uh, a few of our own, you know, like maybe six or eight. But I mean, you know, when I'm out all summer with Mary Chapin, and she actually came out and did a week with Mary Chapin last year. Literally. How'd that go? It was fun. fun. It was great. Because they're, they're, they're pretty tight. They're good buds, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that fun, <laughs> playing oh, with your wife? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's how we got to know each other. I mean, I, um, I was called in when her band was signed to A&M. I was called in to talk about redoing a few songs for their band. And, and so I went up to Akron, and uh, I was living in North Carolina. I flew up to Akron, and I said, okay, well, you're stupid. You shouldn't redo these songs. They sound totally fine. Write some new songs, and I'll help you make a new record. <laughs> but this, you're crazy to redo these songs. And they, the band didn't want to hear that, but Marty did. And then, you know, a few months later, when it all fell apart like they do, um, <laughs> I was having dinner with the A&M people and about some other band. They had come through, they were coming through North Carolina, head of A&R and uh, VP of A&R in uh, New York. And uh, we were, they brought up Marty at dinner before we went to see this other band. And I said, they said, what did you think of her? And I said, I thought she was great. And she said, well, we dumped the band, but we're keeping her. Would you like to do something? So I said, sure. Um, so we they gave us some money to go do a few songs and they liked it and they signed her you know or they got me to help her make records so we made three records for A&M and then she moved to RCA and then we were on Sugar Hill for a while a couple of records at Sugar Hill so and then she has this great Bossa Nova record came out a couple of years ago yeah I have that we one. have on our yeah. uh, which is fun it's a good drinking record back when I used to drink <laughs> you recorded that at your house. Mostly, or no, no, it's about. Um, it's it was really produced with my our friend Kelly Ryan, and I recorded tracks with Jim Brock, uh, who's been our longtime drummer, played on a lot of her A and M and RCA records, uh, all of them. He played on everything after the first record, pretty much. Uh, I recorded tracks with Brock, and then. Uh, Kelly did a lot of stuff at her studio. She's got a studio in Palm Springs and one in Ireland. Brock's is in Charlotte. So we did most, um, we did all of Marty's vocals out in Palm Springs. She did those with Kelly. And uh, then I did the flugelhorn stuff at Brock's in Charlotte because we have you, this guy. You played it? No, no. Oh, he, he recorded the it. guy's yeah. so good. Uh, our friend John Thornton, who lives in Charleston, South Carolina. Really excellent. Did you use a click on that record? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's not true. Uh, two of the tracks were put together by Kelly, so she may have used a click, but I didn't use a click for anything I did. So when you do it, it, it do, 
You do the drums first when you do that? No, I just, I, I, you know, I, the songs I was doing directly involved with had written or had arranged and was ready. I just went down and played guitar and with Jim and we cut them. So I'd play guitar and he'd oh, I see. put on stuff. And then I'd just put a bass part on after I got the, but we would start with me playing guitar and him. Right. I mean, we had, there's one song I recorded with Jim in 1987. It's a cover of Cool. Uh, from West Side Story. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Uh. <laughs> stay loose, boy. Uh-huh. I just worked out a guitar part, and we the whole track started with him playing a hi-hat. He's sitting right there in front of me, and I'm playing this little electric guitar part that I'd worked up, and that's that was our track. And then brought in horns, eight singers, <laughs> wow. six horns, I think, seven horns. Uh, bass obviously put on it. So, you know, that's the kind of thing. But we didn't use a click. He just We just played together until we got something that sped up at the right places and felt mm-hmm. right and did what we needed it to do. Because I sort of condensed the real, the, the, not, not the Broadway arrangement, but the arrangement from the movie to, um, to just some of the key elements because it's kind of a rock and roll song. I guess... Playing and traveling with your wife. I, guess, oh, right. I mean, you don't do it all the time, so it's not such a big, you know, deal. I, I'm just curious. There are some tr- couples, you know, who travel and they sure. play together all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I did that briefly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a while. It was hard. You know, it was, it was a strain. Yeah. It was yeah, a strain. Yeah, I, I didn't. You know, Marty is so... Both of us love not having to be the star. So that makes a huge difference, I right. think, probably. Right. Um, well, plus you, you. I mean, you're traveling and and off producing stuff, so you're not you're not together all the time. Oh no, hardly. In, in your off times, yeah, right. Exactly. So I think that has something to do with it too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a ball on those Dave Mason shows. We had so much fun. It was all East Coast stuff, and we loved the that crowd, the crew, the crew, and everybody was great. And and uh, and we had a ball with MCC. Marty wishes she was doing it again. She said, mm, Oh, looks, <laughs> looks happy, and they're all on the bus, and I'm sitting here by myself. Uh, is, is there an opener on this? Tour? Yeah, Who Emily. Is? Have you not met Emily? Emily, no. Emily Barker. She's Australian, but she lives in England. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's basically all I got for you. Unless it's you... Unless, uh, I mean, I think this is way long. I mean, this is way more than anybody wants to hear from me. <laughs> no, people love people love you. I know you don't like to you don't like to be the guy. Like as you said, you don't like to be the the front man. I, mean, I will do it, and I understand that there's and I love singing, and I love getting to go out and do stuff. Right. I mean, I have I'm a ball. I mean, you've seen me do a solo show. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not miserable. you're fearless. I'm not miserable, and uh, but. I don't have to have that. Right. It's, it doesn't, it's like I don't lie awake going, love me, yeah. love me, <laughs> love me, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I don't really have that chip either, you know, and that's what makes for a good side guy. Well, but, uh, we both, that's when Marty and I both love being each other's side guy. So we get to take turns being side guys, and then we get to sing together sometimes. And, you know, it's like, so the we'd never really... Done. I mean, we played together a lot. We started doing duo shows as a way to make money in the 
85 after her first album came out with uh, on on uh, A&M. It's called Unsophisticated Times, the name of the album. And we went out and did a tour with the band, and it was expensive, you know, the, and the label had to pay for everything. And, you know, right. and then, but we, she, she, I think she was, I don't remember who she was. Oh, she was with Premier. She was a great agency. She was with Premier until they folded. She loved them, and they loved her. Uh, so they said, well, you know, we're getting these offers for you, but, you know, they're really not for a whole lot of money, but we've got a lot of offers, and... I said, let's just go out as a duo. It'll be great. So we worked up duo stuff and started making dough. <laughs> just the two of us. That's good. I think we've had a fine time talking okay. today. I've had a wonderful time talking We've had to a you. wonderful time. Uh, so thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule here. Yeah, it was, it was not so busy today. Well, I, as far as I can tell, all you had to do today was put your pants on. I put my pants on. I did have to set my stuff up, and we did a sound check at 11 a.m. Oh, my God. Did you do it in your jammies? I did. You did? I did my sound check in my jammies because I got a call. Oh, we're doing a sound check right now. Okay, let's do it. But that was that worked out right. Yeah. And so you're on, uh, how long is this tour, actually? November 2nd. Really? With a few breaks. A few breaks in there. It, so you spent a lot of time on the bus. You know, yeah. you've done a lot of bus tours. Yes. And so you must tolerate it okay. I do. It, it's, uh, I just don't, I've always been a little bit of a nomad. I don't have a lot of needs. I don't have a lot of, you know, if I can read. <laughs> and if, and I like to play. And, I mean, it's really boring. It, you know, being on the road, I try to equate it to people. I said, well... It's like being a prisoner of war. <laughs> They're not mean to you, and you get fed, and the, but they tell you where you have to be all the time. You're always accounted for, and you've got to be there. So I, I you know, I said, yeah, it's sort of like Stalag Thirteen, <laughs> and what, what was the name of that uh, Hogan's Heroes? Hogan's Heroes. Right? Right. <laughs> so does that make Chris Ferrari the Char- Sergeant Schultz? Sure, I think Chris would make a good Sergeant Schultz. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Don Dixon, for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good rest of your tour. I will. Oh, and, uh, well, normally we would play a song to go out, but I didn't bring any instruments. Forgot I to bring totally a forgot. I took them out of the car last night. and I could probably go steal a guitar, but it's probably not worth it. Or we it. could just, I'll, I can just spin a cut from, okay. from your You can pretend, play, play, do something like... Um, Seraphina, because it's just me playing live with one acoustic guitar. Oh, okay. That's perfect. I'm going to talk over it. <laughs> Good. Seraphina, let's ride into town. Seraphina, I want to settle you down. You know you talk too much and you act like a little child Serafina, you're driving me wild Well, thanks for listening to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. To find out more about Don Dixon, just type his name into the Google machine. If you enjoyed this show, please consider becoming a supporter. Visit www.patreon.com slash Jim Henry. There you'll find information on how to contribute, 
along with a great selection of rewards that are only available to supporters. Thanks for listening. You gotta tell me you're through. 